I am Linda Schreck. Uh, I serve as the executive pastor here at the Mission Church. We want to welcome those who are online. We know that several of you, uh, we've gotten word over the week, uh, are homesick with various things. School's opened, so that means sickness abounds. And uh, so if you're home, the same spirit that moved here at the altars can move right where you are. Just open yourselves up to it. Amen? Amen. Uh, we're going to begin a series today in Ephesians. For the next several weeks, we will be in Ephesians looking at truth, truths for life. Uh, Pastor Greg and Laura are not here this morning. As he mentioned last week, their son Tyler is being deployed to Kuwait, and they are at Camp Smith this morning for that uh, send-off and ceremony. So uh, uh, we want to uh, remember to pray for our military, and particularly for Tyler this morning as he hugs his mommy goodbye. Pray for his mommy. And uh, nine months in Kuwait, but we know the Lord goes with him. Amen? Amen. Right? Joshua, and Joshua tells us no matter where we go, his presence goes with us. So we're in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, and he established the church in Ephesus in about 53 AD on his second missionary journey. We have a map to show you. Uh, Jerusalem is down on the right corner. That's where he left from. And you'll find Ephesus uh, north and west. I would say up and left, but my husband would correct me. So north and west. Uh, you can see Ephesus there, and then uh, Greece to the left, and then, of course, Italy and Rome, where he winds up um, on his fourth journey overseas or on land. Um, but he, he wrote that on his second missionary, he established a church on his second missionary journey, and then he returned a year later and spent three years about in Ephesus on his third missionary journey and uh, was preaching and teaching with great effectiveness. You can look at Acts 18 and 19 and kind of get a scope of what he did there during that time. He wrote this letter, Ephesians, while he was imprisoned in Rome. So he's in Rome when he writes this letter, but he's writing it to strengthen and encourage the believers, which we are. And so this morning, you're going to leave, I hope, strengthened and encouraged and challenged a little bit as well. Ephesus was an important commercial center and stood at the crossroads, the intersection of important trade routes. It was a cultural and religious center of the ancient world. The pagan temple of the goddess Diana, and in Greek you see it in the New Testament as Artemis, uh, the goddess Diana is probably more what we're familiar with, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was in Ephesus. Ephesus was a pagan stronghold. Perhaps we could say that around where we are living today too, right? Ephesus was a pagan stronghold, a melting pot of cultures and ideas within the ancient world. So this letter was addressed to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus, but it's also called a circular letter, meaning it was circulated around the other churches in the Lycus Valley and today in the Hudson Valley. So in this series, the subtitle is Truths for Life, and today we're going to be in Ephesians 1. We're going to start right at the beginning. And specifically, we're going to look at verses 15 through 23. 
And the truth we're going to be looking at in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 is that you can know Christ better. In elementary children's church, uh, they are learning, they're on week two in Deshay on the lessons about Noah. And if you said to them, oh, we are going to learn about Noah, do you know what some of their reactions will be? I already know about Noah. And so then you have to convince them that they're going to learn something new or God is going to do something new for them. The same is true for us adults with our walk with Christ. Sure, we know Christ. Sure, we know what it means to be a Christian. Sure, we know we have eternal life in heaven. But we can know Christ better. So we're going to get into the Word and start in Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. Paul writes there, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. News had gotten back to Paul, who was at house arrest for telling people about Jesus, for seeing miracles happen, for seeing bondages come off, for seeing strongholds broken in Jesus' name. He's in house arrest in Rome, 900 miles away from Ephesus. And yet word has gotten to him about the faith in Christ and the love for all of God's people that the church of Ephesus has. And I wonder, what have people heard about Christians today? As a follower of Christ, what news gets out there about you or about me? If someone were to come up to you in the lobby and say, hey, I heard about your fill in the blank, would it be your faith in Jesus and your love for all God's people? Or would it be about your latest social media post rant? You can, you can say ouch if you want to. Would it be our faith for Christ as Paul is hearing about the church of Ephesus, the people in Ephesus? Would it be about our faith in Christ and our love for all of God's people? That should be our, our trademark. That should be our claim to fame. The first thing people should recognize about us and know about us is that we have faith in Christ and we love all of God's people. And we are not territorial. We love even if they vote differently than we do. And we don't just say it. We actually really love them. And we don't post derogatory things about the other party, whichever one that might be. Sometimes I've heard the expression that someone is an EGR person. Do you know what EGR stands for? Extra grace required. Do we love them or do we label them and roll our eyes and tolerate them? Ooh, you can say ouch again if you want. <laughs> Paul continues, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. If you walk away with just one thought today, I hope it is that you can know Jesus better. No matter how short or how long you have walked with Christ, you can know him better. The Spirit of God, it says, wants to pour into you wisdom and revelation. 
It says in that verse, may the spirit of wisdom and revelation be poured into you, not so that you know who the next governor of New York will be, not so that you know how the stock market, stock market will do next week. I don't need to be prophetic to say, hmm, not sure. But it is to know Jesus better. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is given so that we would know Christ better, not that so we would know uh, what day we're going to retire. We can have a tendency to coast in our Christian walk and just go into neutral as we go along, just to keep doing the same old, same old when it comes to Christ. Pray for food. Thank you, Jesus, for my food. Amen. Pray before we go to bed. Thank you, God, that I made it through this day. It was a really tough day. And please give me a good night's sleep. Amen. Not that we just come to church on Sundays. Sometimes we coast and we put something in the offering or we raise our hands when it's convenient for us or not too embarrassing. But what are we doing to know Christ better? Are we seeking the Spirit of God to give us wisdom and revelation to know him better? And not just to know him, but to know him better. There's more of Christ that you have not tapped into. There's more of Jesus available to us that we have not yet recognized or appropriated. We want to know him deeper and higher, with more passion, with more earnest, with more love, with more power. There's an old song, more love, more power, more of you in my life. I won't sing it, thank you very much. Yeah, but <laughs> the truth is the same whether you know the song or not. It's time for us as Christians to shake off complacency and make more definitive strives in our walk with Christ to know him better. And the Spirit will pour his spirit of wisdom and revelation into us to do just that. So Paul lists three things he is praying that believers will know better when it comes to knowing Christ better. And that's what we're going to look at for the next few moments. Let the Holy Spirit challenge you this morning to not just listen, but to lay hold of knowing him better. So verse 18 and 19. I pray, Paul continues, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that the light switch may go off, that you'll stop using those dim bulbs and you'll use an LED strobe light in your life. Yes, I'm married to a lighting guy. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, first, the hope to which he has called you. Secondly, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And third, that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul's prayer is that the Spirit would produce within believers a level of insight, a level of spiritual insight that will deepen our walk with Christ. Surface Christianity is a surface relationship with Christ. And it just doesn't cut it anymore. Especially what was happening in Ephesus, that pagan capital of the world, and what is happening in our world today. 
And when the enemy comes knocking on your door, spiritual complacency won't cut it. No matter what you or I face, we must know and lay hold of who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. No matter what you or I face, no matter if it's cancer, no matter if it's a layoff at a job, no matter what we face, we must know and lay hold of who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We live as spiritual paupers. When God says, no, I want to give you wisdom. I want to give you peace. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you affirmation. I've given you value. And we just live as spiritual paupers instead of tapping into all of that. So let's unpack what Paul tells us about who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. First, verse 18 and the beginning of 19 says, Paul says that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This world is looking to all sorts of things for hope. They're looking to politicians. I hope he gets into office. The country's going to go down the tubes. Our hope is in him or her. Jobs. I hope I get that job so I have stability in my life and a good pension and some health insurance. Those are good things. But our hope is not in our job. Health fads in our appearance. I hope this latest, greatest diet works. I hope Dr. Oz isn't a quack. <laughs> I'm going to try this supplement, this cream, and I don't care if it's a pyramid scheme. If it works, I'm going to buy it. Our hope is in that. Sometimes we place our hope in sports teams, like the Mets. They're never going to make it to the World Series. Just enjoy the win now. It's not happening. It's destined for heartbreak. I know, I should give life-giving words, right? I don't know. I've lost my, uh, my microphone on you. Bob, so you're going to shut it off for a minute while I... I was saying to someone else, uh, male pastors don't have to deal with long hair and earrings. <laughs> and then I have glasses on top of it, so, um, so thank you for your grace there for a moment. Uh, people hope in tarot cards, in horoscope, in crystals, in self-help gurus, and in an asparagus psychic. Yes, I said an asparagus psychic. The United Kingdom, Google it, Wendy Catapano. There's an asparagus psychic in the United Kingdom who takes asparagus spears and she throws them in the air and when they land, she can tell that Queen Elizabeth was going to die. <laughs> I could have told you Queen Elizabeth was gonna die, she's 96. Then she throws it up again and says, oh, King Charles is going to give some of his duties to Prince William. Hello! <laughs> of course he is. He's 73. <laughs> the asparagus, the psychic, Wendy Catapano. True? Yes. True. 
That's your homework. People put their hope in the wackiest things, but we do it too. We do it too. People put their hope in the lottery. I hope I win so all my dreams can come true. Let me give you advice. Tithe and watch Jesus make everything happen for you. Anything or anyone we put our hope in besides Jesus or in addition to Jesus. Oh, I, I trust Jesus. I have my hope in Jesus. But also this, that this is hopeless and it's misplaced hope. When we put our hope in the one who has called you, we are hopeful. We are overflowing with hope. Biblical hope is a confident expe expectation anchored in the promises, provision, and faithfulness of God. Our hope is anchored in God. No diagnosis is without hope because Christ is our healer. No stronghold or bondage is without hope because Christ is our chain breaker. No financial situation is without hope because Christ is our provider. No marriage situation or family situation is without hope because Christ is the repairer of the breach. Look up the verse. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory lives inside of you. You should be hopeful. We need a greater knowledge of the hope to which we are called. We have the blessed hope that Christ will return on the clouds of glory and catch us away with him, and he will rule and reign, and we will live with him forever in eternity. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. God promises a hope in a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for a future and a hope. Secondly, Paul continues. We need the wisdom of, uh, we need the spirit of wisdom in Revelation to know him better and that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. As followers of Christ, we have a glorious inheritance. Now, in order to inherit something, someone has to die and have named you as an heir. Upon Queen Elizabeth II's death, King Charles III has inherited a $38 billion fortune. He's been waiting a long time, Bruce. He had that speech written when he was 20. Now, one of her other sons, Andrew, has made very poor life choices, and he's inherited her four dogs. This is true. I have good news for you. Christ died for you. He lives again, and you are joint heirs with Christ. You have incredible spiritual resources available to you. You inherit salvation, peace, provision, heaven, health, all that and more. Romans 8.32, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. 
We have a glorious inheritance in God. And we should know it and act like it. Thirdly, that you may know, Paul says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. It's time for believers to not just read about it, not just sing about resurrection power, but to experience this incomparably great power. It's available to us who believe. Do you believe? Then it's available to you, his unlimited, unbound, boundless, not unboundless, great power is available to you. Believers in Ephesus and in the Hudson Valley, I mean Lycus Valley, where the letter was circulated, lived in a culture where evil spiritual forces were active and real. These forces had bound, controlled, and tyrannized the members of that church before they came to Christ, before conversion. Spiritual warfare is real, and spiritual warfare is happening. Through the power of God, the victory of Christ, unity among the believers, and the putting on and the use of spiritual armor, all of which we're going to look at in our series in Ephesians, we can be victorious in every situation because we have the incomparably great power of Christ with us. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Another verse I'm going to make you look up. If you can look up asparagus psychic, you can look up where that verse was. We have resurrection power living inside of us. Verse, the rest of 19 and verse 20. Paul says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he, God, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. That power is for today and for the situation you face tomorrow, for the situation you face 20 years from now, and to the age to come. You can know and have resurrection power in your life in a greater measure than ever before. You don't just have to have head knowledge. You can have experiential. You can experience the knowledge of the power of God in your life in greater measure and in greater fullness. How? By simply asking, seeking, and receiving. Don't miss an opportunity when, the, when it said the altars are open. Come and see what God will do. Well, I don't really want to share. I'm embarrassed. You don't have to share. Just pray for me. God knows the details. Will we pray for someone, Pastor Dylan, if they say, just pray for me, God knows the details? <coughs> say something, don't just nod your head. Yes, thank you. <laughs> he said yes, online viewers. <laughs> His power has no limit, no boundaries, no quota, no expiration date. His power is incomparable. No power of hell, no scheme of man compares to the power of our God. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up.
Thank you, Eddie. Everything you need is found in Christ. There is nothing outside of his presence, his provision, his peace, himself. 2 Peter 1.3 says, All that we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. All that we need. There is nothing that you need that my God can't supply. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask, think, or imagine. Incomparably great power is available to us. He is our hope who has granted us the riches of his glorious inheritance. And as believers, we have access to his resurrection power. That we would know him better through the hope of what he has called us. That we would know him better by knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance available to us. And that we would know him better by accessing that resurrection power, that incomparably great power. What more do we need? Nothing except to know Christ better. Pastor Greg recently preached a series on the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. Years after Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, the apostle John had a vision. And one of those letters in Revelation was to the church in Ephesus. They were busy for Christ, but they had lost their first love. That's a good warning for all of us. Complacency is not of God. If we are coasting along in our relationship with Christ, what we really are doing is slacking in our relationship with Christ. If we are coasting, we are slacking in our relationship with Christ. We are either moving forward in Christ or slipping backwards in knowing Christ. If we keep our relationship with Christ status quo, it's, a, it's at a good level. I'm, I'm kind of comfortable here. It's good. I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't want to, you know, I'm okay right here. If we, if we are okay with being in the status quo, we quickly become stagnant. And that is a very slippery slope, brothers and sisters. We must press on with Christ. We must press in with Christ and go to higher heights and deeper depths in Christ. We must know Christ better as individuals and as a body of believers. Why? Because our salvation is founded in him. Our purpose is rooted in him. Our fulfillment is centered in him. The depth of our fellowship is founded in him. And our future is anchored in him. If that is true, we must know Christ better than ever before. I want to leave you with the last sentence in Ephesians 1. God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything 
for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You should be filled up with the spirit of Christ. You can know him better. Let's pray. Father, I pray as Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I pray for us here at the Mission Church and those watching online. I pray that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which you have called them. That they may know the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people. And that they would know your incomparably great power for us who believe. Father, we don't want to just leave with an emotional, I want to know you better. But Father, we want to put steps in place to know you better. Father, that today, give us those steps. May we set aside some time with you today and have you tell us how to know you better, how to carve out time in our schedule to know you better, to read your word a few more minutes every day, to seek you a few more minutes every day, to share the goodness of God with a few more people this week. Father, thank you that we can know you because of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. We could never thank you enough. And Holy Spirit, fill us, flood us with your presence that we might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Christ better. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.